Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's is a bonus episode with a good friend of mine and my jiu-jitsu coach, Kyle McCutcheon. Wanted to have him on because I've gotten a lot of questions about jiu-jitsu. I know some of you guys are already doing it. A lot of people are interested in it. So I just thought I would have him on to kind of tell us all about it. And as a bonus for anybody who cares about this kind of thing. Kyle also grew up on all the same kind of stuff we did. I was kind of surprised one day he replied to one of my Instagram stories about Crown of Thorns and I was like, okay, I guess Kyle actually is not a tourist. If you're into Crown of Thorns, then you know your shit. So if you've considered doing jujitsu, but you're not really sure if it's for you or what to expect, then we get into that in this episode. If you are already doing jujitsu and you want to just hear a couple old men geek out about it, well, this one's for you too. We do that in the second half of this episode. So either way, if you are interested in jujitsu, then this one is for you. As a reminder, as always, if you would like to support the podcast, there are three things that you can do. Number one, the most helpful and easiest thing you can do is to share it on social media and just tag me, tag the guest, tag Deanna. The platforms really don't do a lot to market the shows, so we really rely on your help to do that. You could also leave a review or a rating on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. Number two, you can buy a piece of merch. I actually just made some new stuff that I think is pretty cool. There's a link to that in the show notes. Number three, if you really, 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 really like us, if you really like us, then you can support the show on Patreon. Patrons get access to every show a week early. There's also an opportunity to have me review your band or podcast or YouTube channel. Deanna does podcast consultations if you have something like that going on. And speaking of which, if you have a podcast and you would like to do it bigger and better, or if you would like to get a podcast off the ground but you're not sure where to go, well, Deanna is the person to talk to about that. She is the producer and editor of this show that makes it all happen. There's a link to her information in the show notes as well. So with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for making time for this. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we just got done uh, with with class here. Uh, you did not crush me today because we didn't roll. But if, no. if we did roll, you would have, but not today. So well, I mean, I'm a big guy, but I don't like to crush. I don't like to crush. You do like generally. To, you I, do like to crush. You're a okay. crusher. Okay, maybe I crush a little. So what I wanted to talk about today was just for all the people who ask me questions about jujitsu that I'm not qualified to answer. I just kind of wanted to give those people an introduction to like what jujitsu is. I know there's a lot of people that are maybe interested in trying it, but they're scared or they're wondering like, is this for me? So I kind of wanted to address some of those questions that you probably get from all the people who hit you up, you know, come in to check it out, all that stuff. And talk a little bit about your background and kind of just the state of jujitsu where it's at now, because it's, you know, changed a lot since, you know, I discovered it and probably you discovered it. So, yeah. Well, I guess for uh, anybody who is not familiar with you, can you just kind of, I don't know, give us your life story (laughs) as as much as you want Yeah, I mean, unless you're training with me, I don't know why you would be familiar with me. But, um, you know, we we, we run a little school here in Edmonds, Washington. And uh, outside that, I mean, I haven't been a big competitor or anything like that. Uh, You know, I just I love the art itself. It's been a part of my life for many years now. And martial arts in general, there's just something, you know, I think my parents noticed it even when I was a little kid. It was just this gravitation towards, you know, back then it was karate. And, and you know, we had all the 80s movies with the, you know, different Chuck Norris and, and Van Damme and everything else. And, and that's I just naturally gravitated towards that. And, you know, when jujitsu became a thing in the early 90s, it was a, a natural natural progression to kind of move to that. So. So when when did you discover jujitsu and how? You know, back I, then I, I, with, with this, I, you know, I, I'm going to assume that you do have some listeners that that are familiar with jujitsu. So some of the stuff I'm going to say is cliche and it, it is is you know kind of also ran. But uh, you know, 
I've, it, it, the truth is, I discovered it like many others of my generation when the UFC became a thing and, and we all watched Hoist Gracie come out and just basically turn what everybody stood, understood to be martial arts on its head. You know, this small guy and a gi came out and just started locking arms and strangling people. And uh, nobody thought that was fighting then. Everybody thought you, you stood up and threw kicks and punches. You know, I was aware of like grappling arts like wrestling and judo, but, but no one thought that that was like a viable skill set for which to, you know, do combatives. So, uh, of course, it was that, which, which to many is, is kind of cliche. People, you know, might roll their eyes towards that, cause, but it's, it's the truth, you know? Like so I said, I, I was, yeah, I used to watch Bloodsport on repeat. And there was just <laughs> this thing in my head, like, that would be so cool if this was a real thing, like Kumite, the tournament and everything like that. And then when UFC came out, I remember seeing the pay-per-view ads and, you know, I lived with my parents at the time. I couldn't afford anything, but I just remember being obsessed with it. Like, my God, it's like blood sport in real life. Or like Street Fighter. Yeah, exactly. No, it, Street Fighter was another one. But uh, I used to get the VHS, you know, they would come out and we, you know, go Silver Lake Video, I'd go pick it up. Yeah, or Blockbuster. And, and you know, I'd wait. It would be, you know, months after the event occurred. But, you know, back then the internet was a completely different world. And so results weren't readily there. So I never knew what happened. You're watching this VHS like it's live. And that's just kind of how I, I started getting into it then. In this area, I, there was nothing really that I was aware of. Uh, it actually wasn't until I joined the Marine Corps in the late 90s and I got down. I, I, m the majority of my time was spent in, in Arizona and I actually found a jiu-jitsu school. Uh, he's actually a, a pretty well-known person in, in the, in the jiu-jitsu world, Fabio Santos. He's a, a master. He's a coral belt uh, with Hicks and Gracie. I was dating a girl in San Diego, but living in Yuma, Arizona, and I, I would drive out there on the weekends. Um, I don't really consider myself a student, but that was definitely the beginning. My exposure to jiu-jitsu began then. It didn't really take off other than just screwing around with other, other dudes in the Marine Corps until I got out, came back up here, and started training at Charlie Pearson's and got into the MMA stuff. Are you originally from up here, like the north end of the Seattle area? I am. I grew up in Everett. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm from Snohomish, so, you know, a little, yeah. little bit better, maybe. Well, my family's from Snohomish, okay. but then I grew up in Everett. So Got it. I know, I know Snohomish well, too. Got it. And so you're a black belt now. I uh, am. When do you consider your jiu-jitsu journey starting for real? Like early 2000s? Yeah, got out of the Marine Corps in 2001, and I immediately jumped into, I knew I needed to train, I wanted to train, this is something that it just wasn't ever available wherever I was, and so when I moved back up here, like I said, I, I found Charlie Pearson's school, uh, it was kind of a combo, he was still running a lot of Taekwondo out of there then, so it was very raw. Because you probably just needed to do that to run a business back then. Yeah, for sure, and he was a Taekwondo guy originally, and yeah, and that, that paid the bills, but you know, he was, he was slowly kind of turning towards, you know, MMA and, and grappling, and I just found that I enjoyed the grappling aspects better. I still have a love for, you know, the striking arts, but you know, as you age, <laughs> getting punched just stops being a good idea. So I got back into the gi, maybe 2006. A friend of mine was training at uh, Lake Stevens School. Now it's a, a Zenith school, Mike Simpson, North Sound Jiu-Jitsu. Still have friends there, but uh, I, I started going back into the gi probably around 2006. I got my first couple belt promotions under Mike. Uh, so you left. started as a white belt. Yeah, but I mean, you I mess around a little bit. Yeah, bit. It, it's hard, and, and this isn't anything about tuning my own horn. I train a lot uh, without the gi, and then so when I jump back into the gi under Mike, it, it was kind of hard for him to keep me a white belt when when I'm hanging with all the upper belts and yeah. you know and 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 basically outclassing any of my white belt peers. Right. And, uh, so I got a blue belt relatively quick, worked a little harder, and then left there a purple belt, moved down here, and then I discovered what would you know end up being kinder jiu-jitsu now when I, when I moved to the Edmonds area. So came here and I was one of two purple belts. And then there was John, who was, was always kind of just doing the Monday thing. So it was me and Griff for many years, and that was my number one training partner for got a long it. time. And so you teach people, I mean, like you teach people fighting 24 seven, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's my day job. I, I am a, a police officer and I got into training pretty early into my police career because there's just a, uh, most people don't understand. There's just not a lot of cops are well-trained, especially when it comes to like empty hand combat and from police is more about controlling people. So you're not teaching cops how to beat people up. 
Quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I am, um, you know, I, I, I run a class showing why that, you know, a lot of the traditional stuff, you know, there's just kind of a saying that I stick to is like a lot of times the lack of skill looks like excessive force. Right. And the general public just tends to not understand that police are not very well trained. They, I think they have this idea based on, I don't know what, maybe Hollywood or just some kind of... I think you just kind of assume. You just assume, right? They, they're professionals, which, which they are, but there's just, there's so many aspects to the job and, and it's, it's, it's not like an everyday thing that we're encountering people that, that fight with us or resist or anything like that. It, it, it's, and so the frequency is so low, they just kind of tend to, and, and then the, the, the top of it, I got to add this as well. I think we, we, we have pretty resilient people that work the profession. And I think, you know, the higher ups kind of sees like, well, they're, they're managing, you know, and, until something really bad happens. And then you get the knee jerk reactions after the fact. That's, that's just kind of what like, it there's is. There's no problem. They, they're doing all right. Yeah. yeah. There's not yeah. a lot of proactive, like looking at this and, and recognizing there's an issue and addressing it before something really bad happens. You know, and I, I have my own theories about that, and it's not an easy task. It, it's it's actually very difficult because it costs a lot. Of, you got we have a sizable department that I work for, and it costs a lot of money to put cops through training. And we're talking about that's just getting them through one block of training. You know, and we're on a two-year cycle right now. Meaning that people go through every two years. Yes. So wow. you think about you did class today. Yeah. What hour, hour and a half? Yeah. Okay. And how often do you come to class? Three, four days a week. Three, four days a week. Yeah. And think about. Three, four days a week, and and how do you feel about your jujitsu at this point? Are you satisfied? No, no, no. So now imagine I get like 0.1 percent better every day. Imagine that I get to work with you for three hours, for one time for a two-year cycle. Oh wow! What could I show you that that is going to now 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 that that I have to qualify this? Now there's academy training. They're coming out of the academy. They get X amount of hours through the academy then you might get a little bit like specialized training for your specific department once you come out of the academy because the academy is just kind of a state function that everybody kind of pools in there. But then you go out to your individual agencies and they might have some specialized training there. But that is all dependent. Like we have trainers all over the board, some not as good as others. And then right. you, you leave there and you're basically working the street. And who knows beyond that what kind of training you're going to get. So like your first day on the job as a police officer or sheriff, I guess they get similar kind of amounts of training or? Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak to what, what I provide. They come out of the academy and we get about a month and a half, maybe two months with them before they, they go and they start working the road and then they go into a training program there, but that's all on the job training. So for us, they're still kind of unplugged and, and I can speak to what, what I work on them with. I get them a little bit more than, than, than what I'm speaking to, but I'm talking about after they hit the field, you know, you don't know. Every department's different. Some have better ways of, of, of cycling it, but I think at best I've heard like quarterly training. I see. So take what you do in a week and throw that, say, a three-month cycle, right? right? And, and so how functional are you? I think if you're dealing with, with a generally unskilled person, you, you, you can learn enough to probably manage that, but you're not going to be super proficient because like I've been at this 20, 21 years and I still don't feel satisfied with like, my jiu <laughs> right, game. Right. You know, I don't, I don't think there's, there's an end to it. There's just always something else to be learning. But, you know, just developing, a, you know, so, something that I would even consider competent, you know, that's, that's a difficult task when you're talking about a two-year cycle. You know, and I don't think the general public knows that, which, which is fine. I accept that, but uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's the struggle, right? I forget the name of the, the mythological figure of constantly pushing the boulder up the hill, but that's, that's right, how right, kind of right. being a police trainer is like that. It's like, yeah. I get pushed back because, you know, you get cops just are not used to being in, tra- it's, not, it's not ingrained in what they do. So when they have to come to training, there's, there's a lot of fear of looking bad because they are kind of like, man, sure. I'm, I feel awkward with this stuff and I don't want to look bad in front of everybody. And I'm supposed to know this. There's also that pressure, right? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to know this. I don't feel comfortable with it. And now I'm going to go out here and I'm going to look like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So they, there's a tendency to kind of resent training. And then, so I get that. And then I'm f- constantly fighting the department to get hours. And so it's this, this constant struggle. And then, it, then the big one is like, what do I show that has value on that low of a frequency? Right. So it's always a treat when I get to come here and work with people like you. And, and, and I got consistent students I see all the time. It's like, oh man, this skill set's developing well. We can, we can add more. But it's a, it's a totally different world there where it's like, and for me in a two-year cycle, it like becomes Groundhog Day, teaching the same class mm-hmm. on repeat. Like, 
you know, the same thing over and over again, the same jokes, you know, all my, all the, all the coaches that helped me out, they start rolling their eyes and get to your cycle. Like, here we go again okay, with that 32 same minutes joke. Yeah. Through yeah they can start predicting yeah. it, you know? Right. Well, maybe that's a good time for us to kind of bust some of the myths. Mm -hmm. Um, well, first of all, one thing I should say is that, uh, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because we come from the same kind of like '90s hardcore kind of world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit because, especially back then, I would say now like hardcore and jujitsu crossover a lot, but in my experience, they didn't back then. Mm -hmm. So give people kind of a background on that. Just just a touch on that. That was one of the cool moments of mine. Is uh, I didn't even recognize him, but I was down in Torrance training the Gracie Academy once, but I got to roll with Billy from Biohazard. Oh, cool! Several times until I figured out like. You know what? I know where I know you from, and and I was like, I should have known Billy, but it never like he's yeah. A black so that was belt, like, isn't he? He's a black belt now, yeah. But I, when I had started, he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Yeah, I I had rolled with him when he was a brown belt, and I was like, who's this guy with the bleach blonde right, hair and all right. the tattoos? <laughs> and I was like, looks familiar, but you know, and I never put it together. And then and then I think it was when he got his black belt that that they announced, oh yeah, he's a, right. a biohazard. I go, no kidding. <laughs> like, how did I not yeah. pick up on this? So that was cool. Yeah, I, I definitely was not like, you know, a scene kid or anything like that, but I I, I definitely was into hardcore, you know, well, you know a lot of the school. deep cuts, you know, if you know yeah. Crown of Thorns and Candiria, then you're not a tourist. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, but I didn't look at it as like a scene, I guess. It was just like I was into to hard music yeah. in general. And then uh, I had a natural gravitation towards like the breakdowns and stuff yeah. of hardcore. I really liked that style, but I don't think I had like a, a very good perspective to understand what it really was like yeah. we didn't have a new york hardcore right, right. scene here no, i didn't no. even know of any really local bands till much later and people were like you know we had you know yeah. you know the himsa or right. you know bands like this i was like i didn't know you know yeah. so i didn't pay attention to that part of it i'd go to shows and i'd hang out and i'd discover music and it was harder to do back then you know i remember there's a couple like used cd stores where i would just go right. searching through everything and they would let you listen to the cd and i was like oh this is cool in fact that's how i discovered earth crisis i was like oh these guys are pretty hard yeah and then i found out like well straight edge vegan like that's yeah. okay <laughs> what's that all about <laughs> i wasn't expecting that yeah, but all right yeah you know still a part of my life now i'll, I'll go yeah. back and throw that stuff on so it, it, it's pretty cool go back to what were we talking yeah, about oh, so we're just talking about like <laughs> so the reason i want to mention that is because i think it's important when people hear what we're going to say that they understand that you know who it's coming from yeah because you yeah. Might th you, you might think you know oh well this guy was in the marines he's a cop you know like am i if i go to uh you know my the jujitsu academy in my hometown are there gonna be a bunch of cop marines that are gonna punch me in the face when i walk in the door i think <laughs> a lot of people are intimidated and i understand why yeah. but what would you tell that person that's like scared to come in and try jujitsu for the first, first of time? all i think most people are surprised to hear what i do even people i grew up with are like wait what now you know right. <laughs> like you're kidding <laughs> and, you know because that that uh there was definitely like a turning point in my life where where things changed and, and i know people i grew up with were, were pretty shocked to hear where kind of my landed career wise i always kind of fantasize about that if i if 16 year old me woke up today I would be like, like oh, I thought completely you would, lost. That you would be the one in hand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I had been multiple times, you know, no, no surprise. Sorry, mom. Yeah. So I don't find that, 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 that people are intimidated by me, but maybe maybe that's something that, you know, well, know you people, could speak people more to. People are intimidated by jujitsu in general. You know, for sure. They, I mean, I understand why. Somebody like holding you down and choking you, that's yeah. a scary thing for a lot of people. And for me, when I get somebody that walks in here, I think that is like one of the most precious things because I know how scary that can be. For, for, it was a different thing for me because it's something that I always wanted and I was constantly chasing. And I just never had it available to me. So the second I could walk into a place and start training, I was all about it. And I, I was think already in the 90s, in that's how it is. Like yeah. if you managed to find jujitsu, like you were into it. Yes, for sure. Now it's, it's a little bit different. And I understand this also, I, I, I'm, I'm looking through black belt lenses. Like I have a completely different perspective. It's hard for me to sometimes take that step out and the, it, you know, it, it's, it's a thing to I have to like put it in perspective that most people still don't even know what jujitsu is, which I don't even know if we touched on yet. We, well, yeah, why don't you tell them? So <laughs> yeah. if someone's like, hey, yeah. I, so I, 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 I will spare people cool. the whole history it? and I will try and dance around cliche a little bit because I think there, there's plenty of uh, people out there. You know, you, you got Jocko and Joe Rogan yeah. that are that are all kind of preaching this. You could trace it back and understand that, you know, it came from Japan originally with a Judica that went to Brazil and then the Gracie family and everything else. I will spare everybody kind of that stuff. And just kind of get into more the way that I see it and the way that I know we play it here. I mean, it's a martial art. And, and my thing with that, is, and it's a grappling art, you know, a lot of it takes place on the ground, on the mats. Like 
It's a dynamic martial art. One of the things I will say about it, where it differs, where it kind of sets itself apart from other martial arts is that it's actually safe to practice. I mean, is there injuries involved? Absolutely. Any kind of physical sport, you can get hurt playing basketball. You, get hurt you know, I think I have more car, injuries yeah. from basketball than I, than I do. That's not true. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a bold faced lie. I have many injuries, uh, but I did injure myself plenty doing basketball as well. Uh, who knows? Maybe if I continued that path, the injuries would have came from there as well. But it is relatively safe. You know, it's one of these things where, you know, like I said, a bit cliche, but it's, you know, essentially we, we can simulate gravely injuring one another or, or potentially murdering one another. And then all you have to do is you tap out, you start all over again. It's like a video game, right? You get X amount, you get unlimited lives. You get to come, you test things out, you fail lots, and then you start all over again. That's what's so fascinating to me is I, I get to come out here, I get to, I have certain ideas and plans and things and, and the creative side of me is always just kind of juicing. And I, I think about these things, I come out, I test it against my training partners and I have epic failures and then I, I keep at it and then you get one success and that's where the addiction comes. So your first session, mm -hmm. you know, your first jujitsu class, what happens? Like, does some some guy choke you out fifty times, or what? What happens? God, I hope not. <laughs> I think that's a bad experience. Yeah. Uh, and and like I started saying, when we get a new student, I, I feel like that is the most precious thing ever because you see it, you see the nerves kind of kind of. I don't know what this is, and you you, you bring him in. Uh, like my neighbor recently started, and and he was he, he's you know seen me now for several years. He watches me with throw my bag in the car and drive off. Little little inquisitive things about jujitsu here and there. And then eventually it's like, I want to sign up. So when he came in, I was like, Hey, let's show you the ropes here. And, and you know, again, another addict that has been created, but you, you come in and, and everybody kind of has, the, you know, the same apprehension. No one wants anybody bearing down on top of them and everything else. And some of the claustrophobic aspects to it, but you kind of get a feel for what it is. You, you come in for a fundamentals class. We're going to teach how to move a little bit. Maybe we learn some escapes. What it really is for me is a exposure. Uh, hey, feel what it feels like to be here because most people haven't. And, and learn know. to be okay with it. Yeah, and it's like you you come in and you know the mount position, for example. If you've never experienced that, you know, if you didn't have big brothers growing up or something, I think some people can reference something in their life, but many cannot. They come in, they don't even know what's going on. It's like, look at this is a bad spot to be. I'm kind of old school in the sense that I like the self-defense aspects first, develop those because my idea is, is a philosophy that I think is, you know, shared by many traditionalists. It's like, if you come here, you get a blue belt, you leave. I at least want to know, you know, how to like take care of yourself. And that, that I think comes first. I would say even in our own building here, people have a different philosophy than that, but that's the way I see it. Because there's some people that are just all about competition yeah. and the stuff that works in competition is not necessarily, you know, the same stuff that you would teach for self-defense. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to get into a sidebar about that because I, I would say that even a competitor, you, you put some drunken sure, bar yeah. brawler against them, they're going to wreck them. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't care about, you know, street applicability. Knowing something is far superior than knowing nothing. So, yeah, but competition, jujitsu is, is different than, than incorporating. Because that's you a know, sport with yeah, rules and what, for how sure. many points to get for this. Yeah, and, and, and you're not taking into account, hey, you know, this, this bar guy starts fighting me yeah. and then his friend comes over and starts putting boots to me and stuff. And, it's, you know, you can put yourself into some bad positions. So street applicability, I think, should be kind of level one. And that incorporates most basic techniques that you would want to know to develop a competition game anyway, right? I mean, defense is paramount. Uh, even in competition, if you don't know how to defend yourself, I, I compare it like an NFL comparison. You're the run and shoot with no defense, right. and none of those teams ever won anything. Right. If you look at it, right? So they say defense wins championships. I think that applies to jujitsu as well. Well, I think one of the misconceptions that people have about jujitsu is that it's a bunch of like meatheads. And if anything, I would say it's nerds. It is absolutely <laughs> nerds. Yeah. I mean, everybody I meet, like I run into all of them at Comic-Con and everything else. Right, like, right, right. Everybody you know, here like, in the same circles. The guys here are always posting anime memes and stuff. I mean, these are the furthest thing from jocks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get some jocks. Yeah. Though, but but I think they're like the nerdy jocks. Right. You know? And and that's that's one of the coolest aspects about this is I'm friends with so many people that I never would have been friends with if it wasn't for something bringing us together and sharing the mat. You know, especially you know the cop thing. There's 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 all of these preconceived notions yeah. about what I am, and and that's why I don't put it out there for most people. And then 
they're usually surprised to hear that if they if they didn't already know that about me. But bringing people like that together, I mean, I've shared the mat with people that would have never spoken to me knowing that. So, and we become great friends and, and share ideas and share philosophies and they, they get new perspectives. I get new perspectives that way, you know? I so. mean, like you and John, the other guy that I guess, I guess you guys are partners in this yes. place, you know, mm-hmm. are, you know, in so many ways, total opposites yeah you know it's like the odd well, we're mom and dad know? yeah right exactly <laughs> that's what we joke about and, and like he's definitely mom for the record <laughs> and and like you're saying i think that's one of the cool things about jujitsu is how many different people you meet you know the place i trained at before was all amazon engineers yeah. and so i would funny know. funny story about john and i and this this was hilarious i when i first started here you know and again it was mainly griff and i griff, griff was like the main guy kind of running the school at the time and he was my training partner when we came because we were the upper belts and most everybody was new. It was a newer school. And I think I started, it only been open a couple months when I started here. And then John was the black belt, but John, you know, works full time, raising a kid, all this stuff. So he was really only here one day a week. I got to know him a little bit, but I knew Griff much more intimately. And so John hits me up one day and he's like, I have something to tell you. Uh, can we talk? And I'm like, oh, geez, what is this about? He's, and, and, you know, I know he knew what I do for my profession. And I'm thinking like, man, what's he going to tell me? Like he yeah. killed somebody. I'm like <laughs> thinking the worst. <laughs> and he calls me up and I could tell it's like hard for him to get these words out. And he's like, Kyle, I just, I, I'm just out of respect for what you do. I just feel like I've got to get this off my chest. And he tells me, Kyle, I smoke pot. And I'm like, oh my God, dude. Like, I'm just like, what? You're this dead to me. Like, dude, I'm like, I got all worked up over this. I'm like, I, it felt like that scene from Half Baked where right, I'm just right. like, you need for some weed? Like, you know, like, <laughs> just like, okay, dude, I don't really care. Right. Don't, don't stress me out about this stuff. Right. Like, that, that means zero to me and has zero effect about what I think about you. So, but it's uh, cool it was that he, funny. you know, wanted to, you know, bring something that he thought was important to your Absolutely, family. absolutely. But yeah, the, it was just such a small thing that he had worked up in his mind to be this big, much bigger thing that I that he thought I would think was an issue. Was right. like, Jesus, who doesn't? I guess I don't. That's the, I'm the only person I know that doesn't. I don't I, either. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> jujitsu is not a bunch of meatheads. You're not going to get choked out and beat up on your first day. Uh, Not if you go to a good school. I can't vouch for everybody because there's some horror stories. Yeah. So if you go somewhere and you don't like the vibe, you should leave and go somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time. I I run this place a little bit different. Like I I was telling one one of the coaches here earlier, it's like, there's no borders here. If you feel like you're not getting what you need out of this place and you go somewhere else, like as long as you're communicating with me and, and everything is on the up and up, I, I have nothing against that. And you I tell were, people when they- You were just talking about this guy's gi and how offended you were <laughs> right before yeah. we did this podcast. Yeah, uh-huh. That, that was an absolute joke. <laughs> I was teasing him because- Now you're trying to walk it back. Uh-huh. A little bit, yeah. a little bit. But, you know, point being, if you feel like you want to train somewhere else, that's cool. Yeah, and, you, I, know. you know, I, and I, I think there different schools have different philosophies. People, they come in, they, they want different things. And, and not everything is everybody's flavor. You know, I, I always tell people when they're interested in coming in and checking out classes, like, yeah, come check out a few. You know, we, we have different coaches that kind of have their own little twists to things. I think we have kind of an overall core philosophy, but... You know, I don't run the class the same way as, you know, you know, one of, one of the coach Michaels or whoever or Morgan or, you know, some of the other faces around here. So, hey, come in, try a few classes out, see what fits your schedule, see how you like the vibe. We're checking them out, too. You know, I think it, it's a very you know intimate thing when you develop a, a student. And that's what I tell people when they come in, they check it out. It's like we want to make sure that everything everything is a good fit for everybody. And, and it is it never hurts my feelings when somebody says, oh, I went down, I checked out, you know, this other school and it's just a better fit for me. It's like, totally cool. I get it. That's, they run a different thing there or, or whatever. It's, it's never gonna hurt my feelings. So. so in any major city, there's at least half a dozen like Yeah, and it's just growing. I mean, and if you don't like one, go to the other one. And yeah, you know, yeah. If you, know, you go to all of them, you don't like any of them, maybe, maybe you're choosing. Yeah, maybe it's just not, not, for, not for you. you. And some people, it's not for yeah. everybody. I wish it was. You know, I you know, kind of get a little bleeding heart with stuff. It's like, <laughs> though, if the whole world knew jujitsu, there'd be no wars, right? I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. But uh... Well, so one of the other questions that comes up a lot, you know, is someone will say, well, I'm not in great shape or I'm a little bit older or I'm small or, you know, I'm a small like female, like, do I need to get in better shape? Is it okay that I'm small? Like, what would you say to that person? You come in and you put in work, you're going to get in shape. I, I would, there's, there's no prerequisite to start in shape. I would say there's a lot of out of shape people that do jujitsu. Absolutely. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I can get away with it. I'm, I'm often very lazy in <laughs> jujitsu because once you get enough technical ability, right, you don't have to work as hard, but to think that you need to get in shape before you start that is, yes, it's a physical activity, but the beauty of it is so adaptable, you know, and, 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 you know, again, trying to come up with this idea for every for all the listeners about what it is. Well, I mean, it, it is a martial art, we're talking about joint locks and choke holds and, and various positions where you control your opponent and everything else. Like there's, there's a lot of aspects to it, but because it is so dynamic, it is very adaptable. You know, we, we have people that started in their fifties. We have people that are extremely overweight that start and, and, you know, many of them, this becomes like their thing, their motivation to kind of get into shape. I mean, there's, there's some, there's so many stories, you know, of people starting jujitsu and, and it got them on the right path. You know, there's a lot of addicts that are into yeah. jujitsu, you know, because that addictive personality, this became their healthy addiction. I know many people that, that yep. I was on the street, man, like this saved my life. And like, there's several like that. There's like that specific flavor of jujitsu person, the like yeah. sort of jujitsu addict bum type person that you know, it's the guy that otherwise would be living in a van down by the river, mm. but instead he spends all his time on the mats. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been there. I've been, in, I've had some dark points in my life, you know, even as recently as, you know, the past year or so it's like, and this became the sanctuary. I, when I crossed the threshold and this, it's literally like all this darkness is left at the door. Uh, now, is it waiting for me when I come out? Sure. But in that <laughs> moment, and I feel better though, I feel better to like, I recharge my batteries here. Right. So I go out, it's easier for me to deal with that. That's actually the biggest benefit for me. I mean, I just think it's fun and I like staying in shape and stuff, yeah. but like the mental benefit 
is the biggest one for me. Like no matter how like anxious or bummed out or whatever I am when I come in, mm-hmm. when I leave, I feel like 80% better yeah. every single time. And that's like, I, I think what would benefit a lot of people. Like if you do have, you know, I mean, I think most people listening to this probably deal with that stuff to some extent. And, yeah. and I, I think that's the biggest benefit. Yeah, and, and so I, I like to talk about jujitsu, there, there's waves, right? I think when you first start, you're completely overwhelmed. You have no idea what's going on. And, and but you know, mo- most people like that, that are gonna stick around like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I like it, I like this physical, I like certain things. I'm telling you, it's that that first time you get something to work. Yep. that's where the addiction starts, right? Yep. <laughs> and 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 when you first start out, you're 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 like a baby. You don't even know how to move yet, right? And you'd give these kind of non non jujitsu responses to things and everything else, and you'll you'll find some success, right? Because you, you just don't know what you're doing, and, and you're just working hard, and 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 you'll you'll end up kind of making, you know, even people that kind of know what they're doing give them a hard time, right? And then you start learning. So then that's when the first dip comes. Mm-hmm. When you start trying to apply the lessons you're learning and you're, you're just- getting better, but you feel like yeah, you're getting and, worse. And, and I, start, I start talking about it in loops, right? You're looping at a, at a much slower rate than somebody that has a better understanding for this stuff, right? And so your loops coming around and they're already reacting and moving on to the next thing. So you get this dip. And that's usually about the uh, three to six month mark. That's where someone will come to me or one of the coaches and be like, I just feel like I'm not getting any better. That's why after the talk, it's like, no, the deal is you are getting better. The thing is that the results are not the same. And that's when you start looking at, you know, performance. You have to get more performance. How did you perform though? Don't worry about the results. How did you perform? You're performing better. You are because if you look back to before where you were just spazzing out and moving around, didn't even know what you're doing. Now you're moving like, you know what you're doing, but your loop is just slower. And we have that talk. And then it starts, you start developing a, a number of skill sets, right? And that's when you start talking about your first belt promotion, everything else. And there's usually a plateau there where it's just like, God, I kind of feel like I know everything. And that's where it's like, okay, cool. You got to dig deep in this stuff. You, you got all the basics down. You got to start looking at deeper cuts. And, you know, then that creates more, it's more like a waves. It's yeah. Like every but single I would, thing can be I would love down. it if somebody would do a study because I do feel like there is an absolute like translation to life and problem solving specifically. Because here, you know, and, and this is not my quote, I, I believe it came from Rogan, but I'm not, I'm not sure, but talking about, you know, uh, probs, problem solving, I don't remember the quote exactly either, but it's about problem solving with, with severe consequences. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and, and it does translate to other things because a lot of times I, I look at things and, and okay, there's a solution somewhere. We just got to, Take a step back and find it and, and it translates off the mat and you come here and it, it, i think it it primes in, in your your mind to kind of look at life a different way um, you're out here with, with you know with simulating murder with one another and then it makes some other stuff not seem so like god ah, just it's just a simple problem that i got to kind of figure a way around whether it's money whether it's you know how am i going to fit this other thing into my life or, or whatever it may be and, and i know that it's it's definitely helped me in that aspect thinking on my feet is something that i'm very good at now because of it you know that regardless of what position you're in in jiu-jitsu there is a way out yeah always 100 mm-hmm. of the time you may not know what it is but sometimes it's doing nothing that's the beauty of it you know i, I teach that all the time it's like if you're stuck there stop owning it put the responsibility on your opponent, you know? And that's kind of a thing in life. It's like, sometimes I just gotta understand there's nothing I can do and let things play out a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Wait for movement. And again, it's kind of a, a, a jujitsu metaphor, you know? Right. Yeah, and, but then you also equate that back to, you know, my day job. It's like the cops that train, the cops that have this perspective, you see that they almost never get into anything. Right. Because they have this different approach. It's very calm approach to coming in and, and they have, and I think, you know, interacting with people with, with nonverbal communication, the people they deal with also detect like, this is not the one to mess with. Right. <laughs> Look right. at how calm he is or right. she is or whoever is. And, and, and so that's, that's, you know, my goal is raising my profession up to that level. Well, maybe, maybe that's another myth we can bust or, or misconception is people may think that people who train jujitsu or MMA are out there getting in fights all the time. Um, my experience is the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like in my profession, there's bad apples in every bunch. You know, it does happen where, you know, a martial artist loses their way. Um, but for the most part, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're, you're less inclined to be out there 
and, and getting into trouble or getting into street fights or, or you know, if, if, if the police deal with you, you're just you know, you kind of whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's a that's a pretty good you could if you, you know, mapped out percentages, I think it's a very high percentage of people that, that are not out there doing that stuff. I mean, one of the things you learn in jujitsu is that you definitely can't judge a book by its cover. For sure. You know, seeing someone like you on the street, you're a big guy. I would probably, you know, be cautious. Yeah. But someone like Austin, who's you know, what, 150 pounds soaking wet, yeah. does not look very intimidating and would absolutely destroy me, you know, effortlessly on the street. Yeah. yeah, that's, you know, and you go back to even Hoist Gracie. There's a reason why they picked him. And so you learn like, okay, maybe I should just be respectful to everybody Yeah. because you never know who you're dealing with. For sure, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's some signs you look at their ears. Right, right. <laughs> I remember I was, years ago, I was at a bar with uh, one of my friends who, thought he was real tough and he was mouthing off to the door guy this was in ohio uh -huh. and i saw the door guy's ears were just like bubble gum yeah and i was just like call no that, don't call that gyoza ear yeah it was like bad idea and uh so i told the door guy like he doesn't know what he's getting into yeah. just please yeah. <laughs> but you see but then when um, i can tell you having been on the door guys into this business you're sitting back there just going like come on right, man right. like don't make me do this right. it's literally like the last resort right because you know we come in here enough our ego gets checked enough yeah. when you get out there it's like i got nothing to prove you I know i just want to sit here and work the door and go home yeah yeah and, you know it's the same thing on my job it's like I, I don't i don't have anything that i need to like boost my ego out yeah. here i actually don't want to deal with you because it's a whole mess if i yeah. have to right uh and so it's very slow to that you know and and I could get into a whole lot of like philosophy in, in that regards, but you know, I think people kind of get the point. If more yeah. cops train, I truly believe we, we would raise the bar to where we're getting to things where they have to use their firearm and everything else. And you would see less and less of these things, but it is what it is. I think it, it's, it, it's a difficult problem. And again, like I said, jujitsu helps. Hey, I just got to find the solution. So yeah. I'm constantly pushing that boulder up the hill and I'm yep. going to keep doing it. So you know, but that's, that's kind of my goals. But I, I do think it's important to kind of get that message out there. It's like, Hey, take a step back, understand what, what's going on. And, and, you know, then the narrative isn't always correct. So, so I think we pretty much addressed a lot of the questions or concerns that people have, at least that they ask me mm -hmm. uh, about jujitsu. Is there anything else that you would tell someone? I, I don't want to talk I mean, in, in the rest of this. I want to talk to people who already know about jujitsu. Yeah. So to close out the, I don't know anything about jujitsu part of this. Is there anything you would tell those people that we didn't cover? Yeah. I mean, I, I understand the nerves. I understand the anxiety. I, I, I can still remember when I first started, like I would, I would get this buildup, like just going to class was like, oh gosh, who's going to be there today? And like, you gotta kind of do that trust fall, right? It's I like, mean, that's a big part of this learning yeah. to work. Like, I mean, the first when I started coming here, I had trained before, but like when I first started coming here, I got a little bit nervous because I yeah. didn't know yeah. who was going to be here today. And if there was you know, I, there are sometimes those assholes that want to prove a point and yeah. grind their knuckles into your chin. And well, what I found here, though, is... And, and there weren't any, but my point is, like, you learn to work through those nerves. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, these type of people do exist in jujitsu, but understand that that's not the standard. That yeah. I think they're, they're, they're the rarity. You know, I, I think if you have any aspiration to check it out, you just got to kind of do it. You know, just like anything in life, you're, you're never going to know until you just kind of put yourself in this uncomfortable position. But just understand that there is a whole process. And if you're at a good school, they're gonna they're gonna take you by the hand and they're gonna walk you through. They're gonna they're gonna show you, you know, nobody should be just coming in and beating you up over and over again. And if they're doing that, that's not right. And you should move to another place. You know, but but really it is is just a matter of taking that leap of faith, you know, and and coming in and 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 giving it a go. And 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 I think you gotta do it more than once. I think you come in, you're not gonna one way or the other. You might come in and love your first class. And, and don't base your whole opinion on that either. And you come in, maybe it's a hard day. Don't base your opinion on that. Give, give it a, some time. Like, like here, I like to tell people, like, you got to give it about three months. Yeah. You know, I think just a general rule in life, any significant change is going to take about 90 days. Yeah. Uh, this, this included, fit it into your schedule. Give it a real go for 90 days. And if it's something that you're just not enjoying, it's probably not for you. But I have a feeling the more people, by the time that, that, that end of that third month rolls around, you're well into it. You know? I, I totally think what you said is 100% correct, is once you get that first success, you're like, yeah. oh, I did that thing yeah. that we drilled last week and it yep. worked, mm -hmm. you're hooked. So yep. I would say, try to get to that moment. And, For sure, yep. And, and, and it's not gonna happen right away. Right, that, right. That's why I say you gotta give it some time. But, but that's that, that little spark, 
and, and suddenly it's a lifelong addiction, yeah, you know, right. you know what I'm saying? It's like that, that, oh my gosh, I got that, you know, and, and, you, and, and you're going to buzz on that for a while, you know, which is great, which is what it's all about, right? Well, let's switch gears for the people who already know about jujitsu or MMA or whatever. Uh, what I would be interested to hear about is how jujitsu has changed in the time that you've been involved. Because I think w one of the things I like about Kindred is that I think you guys have that good balance of like old school and new school of like, you know, retaining what's good about the old school without clinging to it and ignoring the new stuff because it does develop like. So can you talk about kind of how it's changed for the better? Yeah, I, I think um, for the worst, but yeah, I mean, most things it, it's a it's evolving. And I think generally speaking, it's for the better. You know, when, when I first started, it, there was just kind of all these silos. I trained at a school competition up here. And this is I can only really speak to this area. Competition up here was, was pretty scarce. There's really only one tournament that, that's been around for any length of time. So mainly you got your competition in-house, you know, against your training partners. Again, from my perspective in, in North Snohomish County. I know there was a whole nother like collective in other areas that, that probably maybe it was a little bit different perspective. And that's that's kind of perspective that John has. Um, but for me, it's just, you know, coming in, training with the guys that I knew and, and developing from there. Now, we had people that competed and everything else, but it wasn't like a, a widespread thing. And then there's like the big tournaments, you know, that are run by IBJJF and everything else. But I think it started out, it was it was pretty much everybody was was gi based. You know, there was a little bit of no gi, but no gi just kind of happened when you got sweaty in your gi and you took your gi off and then we were doing no gi. I don't even really remember um, at my school if we had designated no gi classes at the time. Um, I mean, I, I, for a long time, I preferred no gi coming from the MMA world and you know, more submission wrestling. Um, but, you know, from, from what I remember about ju the jujitsu scene, it's like almost everybody was in a gi then. Well, yeah. What do you think about that? It feels like the vast majority of people that I talk to say they prefer no gi. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I've been joking in class because I, I've, since I started in the late 90s with this stuff and mainly, you know, early 2000s, but you see cycles happen. I'm, I'm, that's why I joke around with everybody right now. I was like, hey, you know what? The gi's coming back, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> like, there, I think there are some things that kind of triggered. Uh, you know, you have, you have the Eddie Bravo's events and you have ADCC, that's all no-gi stuff. Uh, and gi, I think it got boring for a long time. Like, it's just not exciting to watch. Everything's kind of slow and, you know, people are winning matches and hanging on to almost points, you know, advantages and, and, and winning matches that, that way. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I think it's coming back because you, you got some people that are getting very innovative, you know, the lapel guard stuff. And you can't argue that there's more options with the gi. You just can't. Right. It, 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 there's there, there's you a know. star. Yeah. And, you know, that's the no gears criticism is like, oh, yeah, well, you need the clothes to get this to work. It's like, okay, yeah, but I think it's easier to be training in the gi and then take it off and go trade no gi than it is the other way around. Mm -hmm. Going from the no gi world and suddenly there's all these handles everywhere. It's, it's a little frustrating. So as far as like what's evolving or what's changing, the biggest thing, no doubt, is just you know, we're in the information age and there is so much content now available to anybody. Uh, it used to be a big deal. Like you didn't cross train when, it, when we first started. Like you were with your team, that was your team. And you didn't go visit this other school and go train with those guys. There was know? like dojo beef. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole thing of creance, right? That was, that was a big deal. And now we didn't have like a Brazilian running our school or anything like that. But we all knew that that's how it was looked at, right? I mean, uh, Mike was never that way, but but you just kind of assumed that that's what it was. You didn't go train with with other schools. Uh, that that was not a good thing to do. And so basically, you're under one person. It's just kind of developing your game. And I think there's advantages to that. I don't think it's all negative. You got someone just kind of monitoring your progress. But now with YouTube and with all these instructionals that are just out there available to anybody, that that was the biggest game changer. You don't need like one person guiding your game. You you can pick something up and you can study it and you grab a training partner and go drill this or that. And that's definitely, you're seeing people get much better, much faster because of that. It's just readily available. And that, that is hands down the, the one thing that has evolved jujitsu the most since when I started. So would you say that it's like 100% a good thing? The fact that, I mean, I remember like it was a big deal. I got like the Mario Sperry DVDs yeah. and it was like a big deal. Yeah, and now, now they're like, you go back and they're, they don't stand up very well. <laughs> no, and there's like 9 billion other instructionals. Yeah. You know, you could watch instructionals every, day of the week for years probably is that a good thing or are there does that 
you know, make people less focused or what are your thoughts? I, I, I think that if you don't have somebody helping you filter things out and, and have some focus, then, then it can be detrimental. And I've seen it here and I've had to kind of pull people aside. Like, do you feel like you're not getting better? And, and yeah, I kind of feel stuck. It's like, you're trying to learn everything at once. That's impossible. Humans don't learn that way. You have to have some focus. You need to dedicate your time to developing one particular skill set. Let that go for a while and then move on to the next thing. I just, I think trying to absorb everything all at once is a daunting task that, that most people are not capable of. I think you're going to see some of the best of the world. You show them one thing one time and suddenly they've completely adapted it to their game. But I think that's, that's a, a, a complete exception. That's not very common. Um, you know, you see those types come in. It's like you show them one thing one time, they were able to go out and, in a competition and hit it. You're just like, that's amazing. That's why they're champions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but most people, that's not the way they learn. That's not the way you learn psychomotor skills. It's, it, it, you know, you need a whole process for developing that. So I think, again, I, I think it makes sense to kind of be underneath a, a, an instructor that's kind of monitoring that and can call that out when they see it. But there's plenty of people, plenty of examples out there now of, 100% self-trained people that are very successful. So, but I still believe that that's probably, you know, an exception. Yeah. So is there some bad with it? Yeah. And I'd say that's the bad, being able to filter all that out and, and, and get to a core, uh, you know, way of, of developing your game. But on the whole, overwhelmingly positive? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's people of my generation that would say differently. Um, but I, I uh, you know, take the approach of, you know, all this information out there is great. You know, I'm learning, I, I'm pulling things from it. It's like, wow, I've never seen this in my life. And sometimes it's just little details mm -hmm. and, and I pull things from here and there. I also think that I'm in a position to where, you know, I, I, I've been exposed to so much jujitsu. It's a little bit easier for me to take this and I can grab what I need from it. It's more like a buffet, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know what I want on my plate. I'm going to pull a little bit from here. I'm going to pull a little bit from there. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to feel okay about it. Um, whereas other people, they, they look at it like, so I eat the whole buffet. It's like, <laughs> right. uh, no, bro, like you're getting, yeah. you're going to get sick, you know? Right. So one specific thing that seems very different to me versus how it was say 15 years ago is leg locks. Like mm -hmm. it seems like now, at least from the people here, like competitions, it seems like that's a no gi. All everybody does now is like, it's all about leg locks. Yeah. Um, I think. And that was totally. But, but things are thing. starting to evolve yet again. I will say this about my style. When I trained with Charlie Pearson, he had a very Japanese influenced grappling game. So we threw leg locks at each other immediately. I remember getting my knees popped. Like, we, uh -huh. I, you know, I was 21 years old. So. Oh man, I destroyed my knee today. Right. You sleep a <laughs> day and you wake yeah. up and you're fine the next day, right? That's no longer the case. But I can remember it's crazy to think about now how we would we would just do these things where we'd 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 start with holding onto each other's leg and it was literally like who could get the lock on faster. Um, so it was a very raw. I mean, if you go back and you look at the old like Pancrase fights, that that's terrible, what you yeah. could kind of uh, that that was the leg locking game that I knew. Right. You know, the old school kind of shoot wrestling style leg attacks and so i fancy myself a leg lock guy and in fact when i started training with mike they were like that's the leg lock guy you know because whenever i would just get tired of dealing with somebody i'd fall back on a leg and they'd almost immediately tap and back then was, they were considered kind of cheap or dirty. yeah 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 yeah. it's it's it was i think it was just laziness and not wanting to learn the game yeah. but uh maybe not maybe i'm wrong I think also there, there, there are some traditionalists that are trying to hold on to what they feel is pure jujitsu, and that was not pure jujitsu. It's kind of like how you see judo rules now. They don't allow double legs and, right. and, and freestyle wrestling because they're trying to keep judo pure. Because all the wrestlers can't yeah, double legs. So, so there, there's some traditionalists or elitists or however you want to look at it. It's like, yeah, falling back on a leg, no. Passing the guard is jujitsu, right. not, not sitting back on a leg. So I think there's that. Uh, and I think there's also just a little bit of like, well, we don't want to learn that. So, you know, you get that combination. Or I got tapped by a lower belt yeah. with this thing. And, and, like and then, you know, you had kind of where I think it kind of started. You see like Eminari getting leg attacks in, in, in an MMA setting. Uh, you know, you had Dean Lister hitting some stuff in competitions. And then there's the famous story. If you're in the jujitsu world, you already know this. When, when, when Dean Lister visits... Hensel Gracie and, and tells Donaher the whole why ignore 50% of the body. So Donaher develops basically a very intricate system of attacking legs. Fast forward to, you know, you get EBI kind of gets very popular and you see his guys just dominating via attacking everybody's legs in this system that at the time, I don't think many people understood. 
So this is like five years ago or so? Yeah, I'd put it about five year mark. But you're seeing now, if you're gonna compete in those kind of events and you don't have a basic understanding for, you, you basically don't belong there. So another evolution is, is due where we're, we're kind of getting away from this. And I spoke to it a little bit uh, today after class, was talking about, you know, when, when we train, you know, takedowns was, was kind of more competition specific. You know, take me, you watch judo or jujitsu, traditional jujitsu people's takedowns are pretty much garbage. Yeah. And, and, you know, not, not anymore. I think everybody understands you have to be more well-rounded. But when I first started, we just started from the knees always, you know, <laughs> like it, it was just a thing. So a lot of guard passing happened from the knees. And then it became like, well, that's, that's dumb. Who passes from their knees, right? That, why would I engage in that? So then it became kind of this whole standing pass thing. Well, standing passing leads to a lot of leg entanglements. And so now I, I'm already seeing it. It's like I started playing from my knees again because I don't like getting into leg entanglements. So you play from your knees, suddenly people lost their leg entanglements, but now because they've been so many, playing so many legs, they don't really know how to deal with guard passing or pressure passing or low passing. So again, that just creates these, these evolutions. And I, I think we're due for another one. I feel like most progressive jujitsu schools understand you can't just ignore the legs. Some are behind the curve. You know, for us, I, I, can, I can pinpoint exactly when it happened. A, a bunch of us had gone down to Portland. It's a different scene there. Uh, they had a, the 10th Planet School and, and a number of others. And you know, uh, one of my mentors, Aaron Milam, who was from Henzo in New York, had the whole leg system down and you go down there and it was a part of their scene, you know, and we all got our legs taken off. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like, oh, my God. And, and here I look back to what I thought was a, a pretty decent leg yeah. game from my, you know, shooto style MMA. Right. And, and they it had it held nothing to this. It was so just primal compared to that. Right. Yeah. So then it's kind of like, okay, got to learn this um, and ultimately it's what kind of led to my relationship with Aaron it's like bringing him up going down there okay I got to learn this stuff it, it, it's it's part of the game now we have to accept that we got to learn it so I think we got ahead of it at least for the scene up here faster than most most schools but I think most of them have kind of come around to if you're going to compete you're going to send people to these competitions they have to have a basic understanding for the late game so yeah just mandatory price of entry yeah. now. Yeah. 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 I mean, be like throwing someone out there. Like, you don't know how to play guard, you know? Right. <laughs> what are you going to do if you end up on your back? Yeah. Well, I think we are about out of time here. So okay. I'll wrap it up. Uh, I guess, is there anything you want to add uh, to the conversation here? Yeah. I mean, like I said, find a school, train. You know, you're, you're gonna, I know you're going to love it just, just as much as you and, you and I do. Find the good fit. You know, it's, it's a healthy, healthy thing to have in your life, you know, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, any, any interest at all, reach out to the schools in your area. Uh, it, it, for me, it's been nothing but just great people in this whole community. I've been all over the country. I've met people from other countries. It's still relatively a small community. A lot of people know each other, but it's growing. I mean, we're on a, we're, we're, it's still on the rise. You know, I, I don't, I, it, it's amazing to me again, looking through black belt eyes that there's still all these karate schools and taekwondo schools and people, parents are putting their kids in there. And I'm just like, okay, but you understand it's not real self-defense, you know, but it, at any rate, you know, I, I feel like we're getting to those kind of 1980s karate levels with it. Right. And, uh, you know, before you know it, there's going to be a, a, a jujitsu school in every town in, in that's of note and, you know, you get on board, you know, cause it's like, it's never too late to start jujitsu, yep. but the, the common phrase is, man, I wish I started this X number of years ago, you know? So it, it's never too late, but you should just, just do it, you know, cool. pull the trigger. And if you happen to be in the Northern end of the Seattle area, you're invited here. Yeah, if you, even if you're just coming through, you already train and, and you, and you want to come through, we, we, don't, we don't charge any fees to come join us on the mat, come check out a class, come to our open mat. We're a great group here. Very inviting. I love having guests. I love meeting new people. Come, come, come say hi. All right. Well, there we go. Thank you very much for uh, making some time yeah. for this. Thanks for having me. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. 
Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast <laughs>